This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 209. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan. You can support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. And if you do so, you will get the best deals on forthcoming courses. So make sure you get out there and do that. I also have five courses for sale there. So if you'd like to support the show... You can do that by purchasing one of those five courses. And, of course, anybody who listens to this podcast does get a 10% discount simply by by using the coupon code PODCAST. So go on out and use that. Get that 10% off. Also go to brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly. You can support the show there by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way. Help keep these lights on if you're watching on YouTube. Help keep the podcast going. Anything you do want to contribute is greatly appreciated. You can also get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Just going out to redbubble.com. Do a search for my name. You've got all of the apparel and other things that have my logo on it. The uh, Brian McClanahan Think Locally, Act Locally logo. I do appreciate any support that you can throw my way. Uh, And you can always support the show as well by going to learntruehistory.com. Learntruehistory.com. That is my affiliate link for Liberty Classroom. So if you want to get a great website, educational website, a lot of bang for your buck there. Um, it is 20-plus uh, classes. I teach uh, there with Kevin Goodsman, Tom Woods, uh, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, Jeff Herbner, a whole lot of great faculty members. So it's it's well worth your time. Of course, it's also Tom Woods' website. And, uh, but you can do all those things to support The Brian McClanahan Show. And also, please do subscribe on YouTube. Uh, because you can watch this podcast there. Uh, and uh, it is a replay, of course. I record it and then and then put it up. But I am going to start doing some live YouTube seminars. Uh, so that <clears throat> that would be something extra. What I'm not doing now would be kind of like having a podcast live. Uh, that will be coming up. I have been doing a, a uh, several-part seminar on uh, Albert Taylor Bledsoe's Davis a Trader. The last part is February 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you want to go over and check that out, just go to my YouTube page, subscribe. You'll be able to uh, see that there's an upcoming uh, live episode, or at least go to my Facebook page. I do have a link to it there, um, so you can get involved that way. All right, well, let's talk about the topic of the day, which, of course, has got to be President's Day. I know I'm a couple days late here, but um, it's something that a lot of people want me to talk about. They want me to talk about the presidents and and um, what I think about President's Day. Well, I've written a couple of pieces about this. Of course, you can always get my nine presidents who screwed up America if you really want to know what presidents I think are great presidents, bad presidents. And you can also go to freehistorycourse.com if you want a 20-lecture course on who I think are the 10 best and 10 worst presidents. Um, and I will be expanding that. You know, We've had over 40 men who have served as president. 
I will be expanding that course within the next two or three courses for McClanahan Academy. Um, I do have a course coming out in the spring. You're going to want to get that, Reconstruction and Recreation. But I will have, have a course on the Presidents. Probably not the, not the course after this one, but the course following that. So it'll be, it's got two in the queue. Uh, it'll be that course. And so you're going to want to get that too. But that'll be a lot of fun. I'll incorporate some of the stuff I've already talked about in that free course. But um, there'll be more. Of course, I'm going to cover a lot of the Presidents I haven't talked about anywhere. So it'll be a, a great time to get my opinion on uh, a lot of the different presidents and um, their policies, positions, how they adhere to their oath of office, which is to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So let's talk about this President's Day. What the heck is this thing? You know, we have this uh, idea that we have President's Day. And, of course, officially, the general government says that this is not an official holiday. It's actually George Washington's birthday. It is a day off, but they don't call it President's Day. It's there's been some legislation to this effect before, um, particularly during the 1970s. There was an effort to uh, have a President's Day. Now, most states call it President's Day. Some have uh, President's Day slash Washington's birthday. They do things like that. But uh, we recognize it as President's Day. And, of course, it's there in February because we have George Washington's birthday on February 22nd and Abraham Lincoln's birthday on, on February 16th. And so they put the two together to get President's Day, the two symbols of America. I mean, this is something that's very important to understand, the two symbols of America. One, George Washington, one, Abraham Lincoln. Washington really was a symbol of America until 1861. Lincoln became the symbol of America from 1861 to the present. So we have two different Americas. We have the original Federal Republic, which Washington exemplified, and we have the Lincolnian America, the American nation, the national government that Lincoln came to exemplify. And you see in Washington, you go there, you have the reflecting pool, and you have these two monuments standing across from each other. And everyone says, well, you know, Washington and Lincoln, they're, they're the same. They're usually ranked one and two in all your presidential rankings. This is just idiotic. Uh, there's, there is a chasm, not just a reflecting pool difference. There's a chasm of a difference between these two individuals. In fact, on Twitter um, the other day, I posted a, a tweet where I said that Lincoln was the most underprepared president in American history. I don't think you can make a case otherwise. Now, someone chimed in and said, what about Barack Obama? Isn't he the most underprepared president in American history? Um, no. Now, they're close. Look, Abraham Lincoln and Barack Obama in terms of experience, there's not much there for either man. But uh, when Obama has a slight edge because of his time in the Senate, Lincoln served one term in the House of Representatives. He was in the Illinois State Legislature, just like Barack Obama. So they both have that in common. But Obama happened to be in the Senate. Obama was a constitutional lawyer. Uh, doesn't know much about the Constitution, clearly. But he's a constitutional lawyer, community organizer, whatever the heck that means. Lincoln was also a lawyer, uh, but a... A failed lawyer. I mean, the guy declared bankruptcy a couple of times. He was he was just not a a very successful individual um, before he became president. In fact, uh, it was funny because Kevin Goodsman chimed in right after that and said that Michael Holt, the great Michael Holt, uh, one of the top uh, antebellum historians in America, uh, said that the nadir of uh, Lincoln's statesmanship was the period between his election and his inauguration. So the, the high point, I mean, that was it. After that, he wasn't a good statesman at all. 
Uh, Lincoln blundered around, did everything wrong, and of course led the United States into a great big cataclysmic war that resulted in the death of now estimates uh, over 700,000 people, just soldiers, 700,000 men. That doesn't include the civilian population, doesn't include the impact on the, on the South, both white and black Southerners, doesn't include the impact on the North and what some of the, the people had to go through there. This was a horrible war. It doesn't include the impact of Reconstruction on America and what that did. And, of course, I get into that in this new Reconstruction and Recreation. So, again, you're going to want to get that class. But this is the problem when we think about President's Day. We just lump all these presidents together. I, and, and the founding generation would have been highly uncomfortable with this. Now, there were those that, um, of course, thought that celebrating George Washington's birthday was a good idea. Um, but then there were those that thought we should celebrate July 4th, not George Washington. But this is what you do for a king. I mean, what are we really celebrating here? So this this whole holiday is highly problematic. So what I'd like to do to, tonight or today is actually um, read two pieces that I published, one two years ago and one just this past week, um, on uh, the difference between Washington and Lincoln and then President's Day itself. And I'm going to, one is a review of um, Ivan Ellen's Recarving Rushmore, uh, which is a, a, a well-known libertarian book. It's published by the Independent Institute. So I'm going to talk about that. But let's start first with this Lincolnian version versus Washington America. This is a piece that I published in February of 2017 at the Abbeville Institute website. And I just, uh, Lou Rockwell just picked it up. Uh, this past week. Um, so I'm going to read a good portion of this. But and, and the reason I want to is because, I mean, look, you could do this with almost anybody that's been president, with Lincoln. Um, Lion Gardner Tyler did it, uh, I believe, with uh, with John Tyler and Abraham Lincoln. You could do this with with uh, Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln. Uh, if you just want to compare contemporary presidents, I mean, Jefferson Davis was a president in Lincoln. You could do it with those two guys. Uh, certainly, the the difference between those two individuals is pronounced, um, but most people don't realize that. They think that Davis is just some coward who got caught in women's clothing. I mean, it's it's a it's a faulty opinion of Jefferson Davis, one of the most important Americans of the antebellum period, eighteen fifties, without question. Davis had a much higher profile and was much better respected than Abraham Lincoln ever was. Um, came from a much more distinguished family than Abraham Lincoln. So let's talk about these two, and I'm going to... So it's Washington versus Lincoln. And again, you could do this with just with a lot of different presidents compared to Lincoln. Lincoln, underprepared, not ready to be president, and was not a statesman at all. Contrary to what people say, he wasn't a statesman. Abraham Lincoln and George Washington stare silently at one another across the reflecting pool in the National Mall in Washington, D.C., their paths inextricably linked by historians who consider both to be the greatest presidents in American history. One is a monument, a testament to the man and his influence on American history. The other, a memorial to the Lincoln legacy, a persistent reminder of the new United States. Washington was at one time the symbol of America. Even 20 years after his death, Americans painted their mantles black in mourning for the indispensable man, and many American families hung portraits of both George and Martha Washington in their homes. Lincoln became a messianic figure, the martyr to a cause to forge and a cause to forge a new nation, based on the proposition that all men are created equal in an indissoluble union. Honest Abe supplanted Honest George as a quintessential American, and thus 
two American symbols had been born. One represented the original American order, the other a new America, one conservative and rational, the other revolutionary, one built on the refined ancient constitutions and customs of Western civilization, the other in a rough-hewn world of log cabins, dirty jokes, foul language, and shifting political sands. While the monuments of each man may serve as pseudo-sentinels pseudo guarding the United States Capitol building, America and its legacy cannot be both Washington's and Lincoln's. It may seem that both men had much in common, but they, and the symbolic America they represent, are in fact incompatible. Washington represented the cavalier elite of early American society. He was reared as a gentleman. He was refined, an excellent conversationalist who knew how to dance and flirt properly with women. His father and grandfathers had acquired large Virginia estates, and though they were considered to be middling plantation owners, Washington eventually befriended members of the Fairfax family, the wealthiest landowners in Virginia. Lincoln was born to a shiftless farmer who lost most of his land holdings due to poor claims. He preferred to pull up stakes rather than plant roots in one area. Lincoln grew up in the wilderness around rough-hewn men and women. He never had any social graces and clumsily interacted with the opposite sex. Lincoln was never reputed to be a fine dancer. Both men were physically imposing and stood near six foot four. Reportedly, Lincoln wrestled and split logs, but he never learned how to defend himself in individual combat. Albert Taylor Bledsoe had to teach him how to use a broadsword when Lincoln was challenged to a duel, and his career as a soldier lasted only a few months during the Black Hawk War. Lincoln did not see any action. Washington hunted, hunted and soldiered. He was the best athlete in Virginia, a master horseman, and a real war hero who saved his men from annihilation in 1755 at what's uh, now known as the Battle of the Wilderness, led the American states to their independence in 1783, and was called out of retirement in 1798 to lead American forces against the French in a war that never materialized. Washington avoided political life by resigning from every political post after the American War for Independence. He could have been president for life, an elected king, but instead chose to retire to Mount Vernon to be a planter and spend time with his family. Washington never came, campaigned for an office. He was important because of who he was as a man, because of his character. Washington was the greatest man in America before he became president. Lincoln became a lawyer, represented big business against the little man, consistently sought office, and molded his public statements to gain maximum political effect. Lincoln was important because he wasn't elected to office. He would be, for, he would be forgotten to history if not for the general government in Washington, D.C. Washington faced a rebellion on the frontier, and while he eventually agreed to send troops into western Pennsylvania at the insistence of Alexander Hamilton, he spent nearly two years exhausting all of the means to reach a settlement on the issue. Washington tolerated dissent. He looked the other way when John Jay was burned in effigy, and the press excoriated him for supporting the awful Jay's Treaty with Great Britain in 1794. Even the whiskey, rebe even the whiskey rebels were treated with kid gloves. The press and elections both remained free. Lincoln faced an open crisis as president and marched hundreds of thousands of troops into the southern states to put down a rebellion when other options were available. He could have chosen peace but chose war and never negotiated or sought compromise with those who opposed his administration. He rounded up dissenters, shut down newspapers, and barred free elections. Washington's union tolerated differences between the northern and southern states, and even Washington himself appealed to their common interests in maintaining a common bond. Lincoln's union forced the will of one section on the other, and his Republican Party openly admitted theirs was a crusade to forge a new union and remake America. Washington held the union together with, through his statesmanship, 
Lincoln held it together by the bayonet. Washington accepted self-determination. Lincoln waged a war against it. Lincoln was described as a guerrilla, a first-rate, second-rate man, an ordinary Western man, a fool, weak, and a man of inferior character. Washington was first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen, the father of his country. Lincoln inherited a federal republic and created a myth of national supremacy. Washington never pretended to be anything but the president of a federal republic. The chasm between Washington and Lincoln is larger than the reflecting pool or one spot in a historical presidential ranking. Lincoln has become America, and America is worse for it. Uh, again, we could, we could carry that exercise out with just about anybody in Abraham Lincoln. He is, without question, the worst statesman that's ever sat in the executive mansion. There's no one worse. And I know that we often have Buchanan and Pierce and these guys at the bottom of the rankings. But Lincoln actually deserves to be there. Uh, and, of course, the cop-out is always, well, you know, Lincoln saved the Union and freed the slaves. But we all know that that story is a little more complex than that. It's, that's for kindergartners. Uh, that makes myths. In fact, it's one of the greatest myths in American history. I know that a lot of times people say, well, there's the myth of the lost cause and all these myths. The Lincolnian myth is the greatest myth in American history. Without question, the greatest myth in American history. So I think that what we're facing here with President's Day, look, Lincoln, Lincoln would be forgotten, as I said, if not for the war, if not for the fact that he served in the general government as president. He would be forgotten. Nobody would know anything about Abraham Lincoln, but people would still know George Washington, whether he was president or not. People would still know that man. And uh, that's one of the greatest differences between the two. Uh, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address revolutionized the revolution, as Gary Wills said. It's a, it is a artful piece of rhetoric, but extremely flawed. And so in that way, uh, we have, uh, we've created this uh, substantial myth with Abraham Lincoln and his importance. Um, I wish, one of my greatest wishes would be that Lincoln would be, would be recognized for what he actually was which was one of the worst presidents in American history. And, of course, when I wrote Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, and I included a chapter on Abraham Lincoln, uh, I remember when I did the media for that particular book, that's the one chapter everybody wanted to talk about. Uh, you So you think Abraham Lincoln screwed up America? I do. Uh, I think that he was a horrible president. I think that the things that Lincoln did were uh, caused irreparable damage to the United States Constitution. Uh, most importantly, we just talked about this, uh, this Trump situation with the declaration of emergency powers and building a wall. Well, thank Lincoln for that. If you don't like what Trump did, you can just go right back to Lincoln and say, well, here we got it. Lincoln's emergency powers, which he said you know, were used to best subdue the enemy, um, this is where we get it, right? So the president doesn't have emergency powers. There's nothing in the Article 2 of the Constitution that gives the president emergency powers. But yet, because Abraham Lincoln did it, well, other presidents have followed suit. Barack Obama did it. I mean, you just go back. I mean, look, we've had national emergencies. And the Congress is the one that uh, created this problem. Um, so, now, there was an interesting piece, and I haven't read it, about, uh, you know, Congress uh, really is the, uh, the check on uh, the national emergency. And uh, the, the legislation that put that into effect is the check on that. Um, okay, but, I mean... The, the language of it allows for things that may not be necessary. So 
this is this is why this President's Day stuff is just nonsense. I mean, it really is just nonsense. Uh, and so we have that. And then, of course, I had this piece that was published um, yesterday, February 19th, on, uh, again, it's a review of um, Ivan Ellen's Recarving Rushmore. If you haven't read this book, um, it's a it's a it's a good book. Um, he, he does a very good job of uh, slaughtering some sacred cows, as I'll say in the piece. Um, he is someone who is not afraid to go on and say unpopular things. I saw an interview he did on Fox News with Fox and Friends in the morning, and uh, he was very critical of uh, several of these uh, very important presidents. And when he was asked who was the greatest president in American history, he said, John Tyler, I couldn't agree more. John Tyler was the greatest president in American history uh, because of the way that he adhered to his oath of office. There was no one better than John Tyler in that particular way. So we've got to understand that the president as design, and, but there are some problems with the book as I'll get into as, as, I, as I review it. The presidency as design was not what we have today. That's the real secret. Uh, and that's why it's important that we really understand original intent. You know, I am I am an equal opportunity uh, destroyer of unconstitutional presidential action. Um, I don't think we should have it. I think that it creates a dangerous situation. Nancy Pelosi was actually right when she said, look, if you declare a national emergency here, what's to stop the next president, if it's a Democrat, from declaring a national emergency to do X, Y, or Z? And these leftist uh, policy uh, agenda. I mean, she's right about that. Um, it could happen. And I think they're, they're foreshadowing it's going to happen. And then what do you do? Um, wh- where do we go from there? So I said in a in a episode of the Brian McClanahan show, look, I'm all for it. If you want to build the wall, I'm all for it. I mean, I think it's a, it's a beneficial idea if, if the idea is to stop the flow of terrorists or drugs or whatever the else you want to have coming to the United States, illegal immigrants uh, who can cause problems. Um, okay, fine. Um, but do it legally. Do it right. Uh, and the Congress, the Republicans, the real issue is the Republican Party. The Republicans had two years to pass a wall funding, and they didn't do it. So, I mean, the blame lies with the Republican Party, the stupid party, the grand old stupid party, the GOSP. Um, so here is my review of Ivan Ellen's uh, recarving Rushmore. And uh, I'll say some of the things about it, and, there are, and I'll, I'll expand on a couple of points. But number one, uh, the annual veneration of American monarchy, President's Day, has passed again. While still officially called Washington's birthday by the general government, the American public has embraced the idea of honoring the executive branch by shopping for furniture, jewelry, or cars. This is what we do, right? We have President's Day sale. You go down the road, President's Day sale. we got President's Day sales on the Internet, whatever it is. Everybody's got to shop for furniture or whatnot, not for President's Day sale. George W. Bush encouraged us to shop after September 11th, 2001. He might as well issued a presidential bull. This is a curious holiday for Americans, one that is so anti-Republican that it would have been universally rejected by the founding generation. We have grown to love our elected kings. They are supported for life after leaving office, command six-figure speaking fees, and are showered with praise at official state funerals when they die. Some get their own action figure. Barack Obama has one. Even our former colonial overlords in Great Britain don't spend this much time worshipping a real monarchy. Foicing this much attention on the executive branch has led to an unhealthy and distorted understanding of American politics and government. 
Our collective history is dominated by presidential administrations, the activity of the executive office, and the cycle of presidential elections. It has also led to mountains of literature on American presidents, from the banal, pedantic, and trivial to sweeping generalizations on presidential epics. Anyone studying the middle of the 19th century has to wrestle with the age of Jackson. Most of these works are not worth the paper and ink used to print them, and few are groundbreaking or thought-provoking studies that need to be taken seriously. Most modern historians are an incestuous and uncreative lot who simply regurgitate the fashionable opinions of the day. When they tell you to read a book as a retort to a serious question, they admit to not having an original thought. And that book is typically the one stamped acceptable by historical groupthink. Presidential rankings suffer from the same historical ignorance. Historians generally consider the best presidents to be those who did the most harm to the United States Constitution, the document each swears to uphold and defend before taking office. That doesn't matter. The ends justify the means. Who cares if Franklin Roosevelt's second Bill of Rights would destroy every vestige of whatever is left of the original Constitution? Does it provide social justice or equality or economic security? More important, both parties often wonder if such a presidential edict can create an electoral advantage. Ideology trumps both restraint and the Constitution itself in the modern era. Can there be a better way to grade the presidents? Ivan Ivan Ellen argues absolutely in recarving Rushmore. He judges 41 of the 43 men who have held office on a simple formula. How do they maintain or destroy peace, prosperity, and liberty? This is a unique measuring stick to determine effectiveness, one that flips executive activity on its head. If we are going to embrace executive government, we should consider what type of activity we want from the president. Ellen's best presidents are not the typical top four. John Tyler, Martin Van Buren, Grover Cleveland, and Rutherford B. Hayes fare well in his study, while Lincoln, both Roosevelt's Jackson, and Wilson are kicked to the end of the list, joining long-standing bottom dwellers in James Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, and Franklin Pierce. Ellen ranks Jimmy Carter better than Ronald Reagan, a move that's sure to elicit the ire of conservative readers. And even George Washington is criticized for his reckless and unconstitutional actions during the Whiskey Rebellion. Ellen slaughters several sacred cows in the process, and his breezy writing and short chapters allow for a quick and punchy read. One must give him credit for simply venturing to take on establishment groupthink and for his determination to view the presidency through a different and unfortunately controversial prism. I say unfortunate because it shouldn't be. Right? This shouldn't be controversial to uh, have a different view. But it is. Yet while Ellen's tome is a worthwhile and refreshing departure from most presidential histories, his, the book suffers from some of the same problems as the acceptable studies. The good points of the book can at times be overshadowed by an ideologically driven form of presentism. So while Ellen professes to define the presidency as ratified in the original Constitution, his critique of various administrations sounds more like a 21st century op-ed than a desire to understand the men in their times. For example, Ellen is critical of Zachary Taylor for doing nothing to alleviate the shameful murder of the, of the American Indian tribes in California during the California Gold Rush. <clears throat> and he castigates Franklin Pierce for stealing Indian land and for his slave-based foreign and domestic policies, which he claims led to the Civil War. These are opinions best expressed in modern presentist textbooks authored by the deans of the historical establishment. Eric Foner could not have written a better description of the Pierce administration. He praises presidents for executive energy when when in defense of liberty and criticizes them when they don't, but fails to understand that these actions would have, and often did, violate their oath of office. Original restraint sometimes means means doing nothing, even if doing nothing is politically incorrect or out of step with modern libertarian ideology. This is my greatest critique of the book. People have asked me about this book. It's my greatest critique of the book. Um, The fact that you have him saying, well, the president needs to do these things. It's, it's, he's 
pursuing an activist presidency at the end of the day. Um, and I look, Andrew Johnson, one of the reasons why he criticizes, criticizes Andrew Johnson, he says Andrew Johnson was a racist. I mean, you might as well read Eric Foner if you want that. So this is, I mean, that's the problem with the book. Um, you know, don't, he doesn't seek to understand Andrew Johnson from a, from a constitutional perspective, something that I do uh, in the uh, free history course, and which I will do also in the presidential course, which I also touch on in the Reconstruction class. I mean, look, I'm, Johnson had his problems, but Johnson governing was not one of them uh, once he became president, uh, particularly in relation to how he uh, tried to take down Congress all the time. I mean, we should stand up and applaud this guy for that. Uh, Zachary Taylor, another one who I think is actually very good. Uh, but of course, you know, if you well, he didn't do enough to stop a Indian tribe, violence against the Indian tribes. Uh, I mean, he's a man of his times. The Indian tribes were seen as an obstacle to American expansion. Um, and again, his list of bottom dollars too includes Buchanan and Pierce. I think Pierce was a fine president. You read his veto messages; they were great. Buchanan uh, does have some problems, but Buchanan's saving grace in my eyes is that he didn't go to war in 1860 and 61. When he could have. I mean, he, he chose a different path than Abraham Lincoln. His attorney general said, look, secession is illegal, but we can't use force to stop it. Um, and, okay, then that's the right path to take. Lincoln had no qualities of a statesman at that particular point. So these are the major issues I have with um, with this uh, um book and it's it's a good book though and i conclude regardless everyone with a, even a minor curiosity for presidential history should read recarving rushmore it is a refreshing and novel departure from the mundane repetitive and sycophantic presidential biographies that generally occupy spakes on bookshelves this isn't john meacham's american lion anyone who has the guts to rank john tyler as the best president in american history and i agree deserves attention so go out and pick it up it's not expensive you can get it on amazon for next to nothing uh you know about 20 bucks something like that um and it's a good read um, something that, um, again, a book that's worth your time to pick up, particularly if you're a libertarian conservative. Uh, Ellen, I think, also wrote a book on the presidency of Ronald Reagan, where he was very critical of Reagan, um, which is amazing, you know, because uh, that's not something you do if you're on Fox News. You don't you don't write books critical of, of uh, as Rush Limbaugh calls them, Ronaldus Magmus or something, Ronaldus Maximus, whatever he calls them, some kind of silly Roman name. Uh, you just don't do that. I mean, you're really getting into a sacred cow territory in modern conservatives when you take apart Ronald Reagan. But all of that said, I mean, the thing I like about the book in honor of President's Day is that it takes apart this President's Day myth. It really does a good job with that, and we should. We shouldn't celebrate President's Day. There shouldn't be any such thing. Somebody asked me on Facebook, what would I do? I would abolish the entire holiday if I had the, if I had the option. I would just say it doesn't exist anymore. There's no reason for President's Day. Uh, if you want to celebrate George Washington's birthday, I mean, I, I'm more agreeable with that than anything else um, because he was such an important figure outside of the executive branch. But the whole idea of President's Day is just complete hogwash. So um, go out there and get that free history course. You can see what I think on 20 presidents. Uh, you're going to want uh, to get the course when I produce something like that again from McClanahan Academy. You're going to want, again, use that coupon code podcast for any uh any courses you pick up on McClanahan Academy. It's well worth your time to get them. Uh, also, don't forget I've got that live seminar coming up next week. I'm going to be doing more of those uh, through my YouTube channel. So subscribe to YouTube, get on my Twitter account, do all that cool stuff, get my gear. 
get on get on McClanahan Academy. You'll get the best. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to want the discount on that reconstruction class because once it's gone, the discount I give you in the first couple of weeks of launch, you're not going to get it that low again. I'll, I'll discount it at times, but you won't get it like you will at that time. So it's it's well worth your, your time and energy to get that discount. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time.